Oh, I could sense, I don't know about you, but God is all over this place. Holy Spirit is moving. I just sense that one song that we sang, just, oh man, you could just see the Spirit just stirring us up together in unity. God, we just desire one thing, God, to dwell in your house, in your presence. God, farther than any other place could offer us in this world, we desire one thing, God, and that is you. God, I pray for a visitation, Lord, from heaven. We thank you, Lord, that you made us a promise. You would always be with us. You will never forsake us. You will never leave us. Thank you, God, for those promises. But now, God, we want more of you, God. We want more than just your name here, God. Your presence is everything that we are seeking after. And God, I pray that today, all our attention, all of our focus, all of our being, everything that you have created us to be, God, dedicated and surrendered, God, to you. Do something this morning powerful. Save lives, God. Put lives back together, marriages back together. Deliver people in this very moment today, God. We believe, Jesus, the very same Jesus that you were in the scripture. You're here with us now and pleading and working with us, Lord. We want so much to draw close to you today, and we ask that you will do this by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, Amen. 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 I hope... You're glad to be here. There's a message that God is just pounding, beating in my heart. I want to bring to you out of John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, just make a marker there. We'll get to there in just a second. Um, Just want to make also mention that this Tuesday night is prayer night. It's so important. If you need a miracle, if you need something from God, and you need something from God now, I want to encourage you to come Tuesday night, 7 p.m., All we do is worship and pray. We leave it all up to the Holy Spirit. So if you're just looking where God needs you to be, be here. If you need something from God, if you're sick, if someone you know that's sick, I really want to ask you to be here 7 o'clock Tuesday. We have full children's ministry, but the power of God comes when we get together and we pray. Amen? So we trust that he's going to do that always. When there's a sense of urgency in your life, when there's a sense of urgency in my life, When somebody is ill, when someone is in trouble and they're close to you, there is nothing, nothing that will stop you from getting to the throne of God. Amen? There's a sense of urgency when when you're in the ER waiting and don't know if your child is going to make it, or maybe just hanging by a thread that a parent or a loved one is just ready to slip into eternity and be with Jesus forever. There's still that sense of urgency. God, one more moment, one more day. God, one more week. Do you catch that sense of urgency? I want you to feel that. I want you just to capture that for a moment because that right there, I believe, is what God wants us to have for one more soul. One more person, lost person to come to Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater than seeing somebody give their life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. There's nothing better than seeing somebody walk down this aisle and give their heart to Jesus. There's nothing better than when you're sitting at Starbucks over a coffee and you share your faith story with someone and they say, you know what, I think I'm ready. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ like you're following him. There's nothing better than when you're on the soccer field and someone says to you, you know what, I think I'm going to come visit your church. There's nothing better than seeing someone step into eternity and God God invites us. He invites us to participate with him. Matthew 28, this is our anchor text for the series, bringing them back alive, baby. That's what we want to do, right? Bring people back from death to life. Well, we're a little sleepy this morning. We need some calisthenics or something. We need to do something, right? Isn't it the best thing ever is you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Most of you, I know, 80% of you gave your life to Jesus because somebody invited you to come. 
And, and, and so the church ought to be the most filled, spirit-filled, uh, energetic, on-fire, loving place on the face of the earth. I tell you, I love AA, I love NA, I love what it does for those who are caught in addiction. I believe we're all caught in some kind of addiction to sin. We just have a, a sin of choice. But what I love about AA is you got to be real. you got to stand up and say, this is my problem, and I need help. And I think that should be the atmosphere of the church. I have a problem, and I need help. We can get you to Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. So he said in his very last dissertation to the disciples, as they were looking literally at Jesus ascending into heaven for a moment, the last time that they would see him on earth, as they're looking at the bottom of his sandals, he says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples, these new family members, to obey all the commands that I have given you. And surely of this, I'm always with you, always with you, even to the end of the age. Last Sunday, there was a, one of the, our folks who have been here for about eight years. He was invited, by our, invited to MVCC by our Spanish pastor, Julio. Uh, they got into a motorcycle club. And so as they're riding bikes uh, here on Tribuco Canyon every Saturday, conversations would just come up as they were at Cook's Corner, different places, hanging out. And uh, that conversation led to a spiritual one about, hey, why don't you come visit my church? That one little invitation was the spark in JR's life. God is changing this man who was part of a gang. If you're here second hour, you will hear the testimony of a guy who was just really bad stuff, and Jesus saved him. Anyway, he came up to me right here before the service even started, which I love. God can do stuff without our help. He came up to me before the service. He looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, I need God now. I'm ready to get baptized. I'm like, I jumped up, gave him a big hug, and I said, this is what it's all about, man. We all need God. We all need Jesus. We all need him, right? So second hour, right after second hour, he's going to give his life to Jesus Christ, and baptism is going to be awesome. Awesome. Last week, we talked about having, if we really want to reach someone for Christ, or maybe you know somebody in your life who is on fire believer, and they've drifted away from church, drifted away from the faith. We have to have, we have to bring to God a pure heart. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have any problems or issues. Otherwise, we'd never be able to serve the Lord. What he's talking about is the purity of your heart. What is your motive? What are your motives? What are your dreams? What are your visions? What do you have? If it's to see people Get into heaven with you. He says, I can use that heart. Life matched the message. You remember that? We want our life to match the good news of Jesus Christ. That's really important. Doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It just means that we have to be surrendered to his cause to save the world. And authentic friendships, I think that's the key. People are looking for realness. They're looking for someone who's authentic. They don't look for somebody who has it all together because they know that we don't have it all together. And of course, pray and watch for opportunities and expect, expect God to move. I'm expecting him to put me in a place where I can share the good news with somebody who's just lost like we all used to be, right? Back in the day, 1940s, there was a professor of a small college of students that were studying to be pastors and church leaders. His name was J. Edwin Orr. He decided one afternoon to take his 11 students who were studying for the ministry on a small uh, yet windy road kind of field trip um, through the area where John Wesley's home used to be. 
John Wesley was a guy who was completely, I want to liken him to the Apostle Paul. He was completely surrendered to God. Nothing, nothing would ever get in the way of his relationship with Jesus. He was kind of the Billy Graham of the day. He held revivals. He held uh, outdoor air meetings. People would come and receive Jesus Christ. He's the one that God used to start the mighty Methodist church. If you notice the mighty Methodist church, the insignia that they have, the logo that they have is that fire that comes up right in the middle of the cross. Do you know that? The reason that, are we there? Are we there? Yes. Okay. The reason that they had that, that symbol is because the Methodists, which they gave the name, they were so methodical about their devotion to God. John Wesley was the founder of this, that we wouldn't have today as we know it as a Protestant movement that was started if it weren't for men like John Wesley. So he's a very prominent person. They studied about him. They read about him, these students in J. Edwin Orr's class. Well, they walked into his home into John Wesley's home. And as each 11 of those students kind of sheepishly, kind of in trepidation because of the awe of who he was back in the day, they walked through the kitchen and the family room. They walked up the stairs and saw all of his books that were still there. And as some of the students touched some of those books saying, John Wesley read from these books. He wrote some of these books. And then they went in to his bedroom. And right beside his bed, John Wesley, were two indented patches on the wooden floor. And J. Edwin Orr said, this is where John Wesley, day and night, would bow his name, his knee to the name of Jesus and cry out for God and cry out for souls. It's been said that more people besides Billy Graham, he won more people to Jesus Christ by his open air meetings. All the students were just kind of in a, kind of just in a holy hush. Each one exited out through the downstairs and went back onto the bus. When J. Edwin Order looked at all the students, he knew that one was missing as he went back into the home, could hear somebody's voice upstairs. As Professor J. Edwin Orr went upstairs and saw to the back of one student was kneeling right where John Wesley was kneeling years ago. And he could hear his prayer. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Bring revival. J. Edwin Orr put his hand on this young student's shoulders and said, Billy, it's time. We have to leave. Billy Graham stood up from that very place and asking God, do it again. The reason I bring that up, we do not all have to be paid pastors, teachers, church leaders. In fact, I often believe that you guys are more effective than I could ever be because you are in places where you're lost people all the time. I want us to have a heart of prayer and a devotion and a passion, just like that young student, Billy Graham, who at that time did not know that God was going to use him in such a mighty way. But his one prayer was, God, do it again, Lord. Do it at my office, God. Do it at my school. God, do it in my neighborhood. Do it under my roof, God. One more soul, God, for you. Bring revival to Mission Viejo. Bring revival to South Orange County. If there was ever a time that our nation needed to come back to God, it's now, before it's too late, before Christ returns. And it's up to us, I believe, to pray and partner with God that he'll use us in such a powerful way. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws a heart back to Jesus. 
I believe that everyone has a chance to know Jesus Christ. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've been involved in. It doesn't matter what you've been involved in at all. Any kind of disobedience to God. We all have been disobedient and rebellious to God. And God saved us. He wants to save everybody. Everybody needs an opportunity to hear the gospel. My prayer is that when we leave here in just a few minutes, you will be so on fire and equipped with the word of God to give your story to somebody. Nothing could hold you down. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Because of our gospel, the apostle Paul wrote these words, came to you not simply with words, but also with the power, with the Holy Spirit power and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you and for your sake. Zechariah 4.6 in the Old Testament says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The Apostle Paul said one more time in 1 Corinthians, my message, as he's talking to the Corinthians, I like to think of the Californians, my message was not with wise or persuasive words. I wasn't clever. I didn't go to the best schools on how to be an orator, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. When I was working in the movie theater while I was going to school studying to be a pastor, there was a guy who was, we were working together. His name was Peter Dunkley. I'll never forget him. He had this really cool hair, blonde, really long hair, surfer kind of hair. And I gosh, I want to have hair like that. That would be so cool. Well, my hair grows out. It doesn't grow down. So that never happened for me. But that, I just was kind of drawn to this guy. And we just, after the movies were over and after we were done working, I just kind of talked to him about, so where do you go to school? What's your story? And he shared with me his story that he was raised in the Mormon church. And as he was sharing his story, I had just known Jesus for maybe about two and a half years. And man, I just, I just wanted so much to tell him my story. And so I remember as we built kind of a friendship and hung out during those days, that I just one night asked, could I share with you something that happened to me? He says, yeah. I told him my story about how I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now, from his Mormon background, very much different than what the Bible teaches about God's grace. I feel sorry for a lot of Mormon folks who are trying to work their way to heaven. You can't get there that way by doing good works. What do we do in response to Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, atheists, all the people that, that are in just different camps who don't believe in Jesus? We do what Jesus did. We love them. Amen. We love them. We reach out to them. We serve them. We don't condemn anybody. That's God's deal. God is the judge. All we can do is present the truth and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to work. And there was a little thing, a little world called grace that I wanted so much for Peter to understand that you don't have to go to, to Mormon temple. You don't have to do all those rituals. You don't have to go on a two-year mission to be right with God. He already made you right with Jesus Christ. All you need to do by faith is to ask for forgiveness of your sins and receive him, man. I wasn't paid. I'm not telling you this because I'm your pastor. I was, I'm, I'm sharing this with you because we are all sojourners in the gospel. We are all brothers and sisters in the good news of Jesus Christ. If, if I was working a, a regular job, I would still want to see people. Lost or saved, lost or saved, lost or saved, lost or saved. Holy Spirit, speak to me. What do you want? How are we going to reach this person for you? I want to look at John chapter 4 now because Jesus is our best model. He's our example, right? He is our teacher. Jesus will teach us today. I believe God has something for you, for me, for all of us. Even if it's just one thing, every time I listen to a sermon on YouTube or go to a really good Bible study, I'm asking you, Lord, give me one thing I need. God, I want to learn one thing, and I want to apply at least one thing into my life, God. 
So I, I, my hope and my prayer is that God gives you something. These are in the seat backs in front of you. I love these because it just gives opportunity to write some things down. They say that if you write something down as you're going through something, uh, 30% chance you'll remember it. So um, those are for you right in the front. Let's look at John chapter 4 together. I love this account. You probably, if you've been in church a little while, you might remember this account that Jesus steps into. But I hope that there'll be something different for you. Every time we read the word of God, there's always something that God brings out, right? That's different. That's the Holy Spirit power. My hope today is that we see the Holy Spirit at work in such a different dynamic way that we will want to fellowship with him, walk with him, listen to him, and follow his lead. Amen? Amen. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, meaning John the Baptist. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize anyone, His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walks, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. I want to stop here for just a second and just give it a little context Jesus goes through Samaria to Sychar. You with me? That is key because there was a huge racial divide between Jews and Samaritans. Why was that? Why was there so much tension? Why would they not even go near their, 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 uh, the borders of their town? Why would the Jewish people never, never allow a Samaritan to come into the place of worship? They hated one another. Well, back in 700 BC, there was a group of people named the Assyrians And the Assyrians took over Jewish territory, unfortunately. Sometimes God will allow tragedy to happen to get our attention. And in this case, because the Israelites ran so far away from God, he would allow, he didn't cause them, he would allow to get their attention. God doesn't delight in bad things happening, but sometimes that's the only way we learn, right? I guess just me. That's just, I got a hard head. That's how God works with me. Taken from their homeland, the Assyrians took them prisoner. And they mixed together over the years in marriage and family. And that's why some were half Jewish and half Gentile, meaning they were Samaritans because they were part of that tribe. Jesus tells the 12, I need you guys to go into In-N-Out Burger back into town and get some food. Why did Jesus say that? Because I believe Jesus knew, of course, being God, there was a divine appointment that he was not going to miss. And because in that culture, for a Jewish rabbi or a teacher to sit in the presence of a woman out in the open was uncalled for. That would never, ever, ever be allowed. And so Jesus knows the sensitivity of this. I want you to see with me this very sensitive moment, this life-changing moment for this woman, which, by the way, we don't even know her name. And she was important to Jesus. Think about this. The creator of the universe, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, stops in the middle of a day to talk to one person who had no name. Oh, but he knew her name, didn't he? And so the dialogue begins. Oh, by the way, Jacob's well is important. Jacob was the father of Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember, this is the one who was the dreamer for God. He was second in command to Egypt. He had all these incredible opportunities with God. And so Jacob brought this place, this place of the well, and gave it to his son. That's why it's called Jacob's well. Isn't it interesting that Jesus and Jacob's well in the very same place, there's going to be a miracle that's going to happen in just a second, right? Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. 
Why was it at noontime? We'll get to that in just a second. Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, I just want to say here, I want you to notice Jesus' posture, his position. He's very humble. Jesus is asking this woman for something. Do you see this? Right? Questions are always good to work with folks that maybe are just distant from God. He was alone and at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some In-N-Out burger. All right. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans, said to Jesus. You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? See how this comes together now. She's surprised, I'm just going to say, by the Spirit, right? Holy Spirit is working in this whole divine appointment right here. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Do you see where she's at? She's in the natural. She's thinking, there's got to be some water here that makes me live forever. I'll never die. She's thinking she'll be, you know, 250 years old and always be at her 30s or something. Wouldn't that be great, by the way? We never get old. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? But Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water soon will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never, ever, ever be thirsty again. Once you've tasted of Jesus Christ, once you've surrendered your heart to him, you will never long for anything else in the world. Amen? It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Notice Jesus shifts the conversation to focus on, we're talking about eternal life here. Can I just remind us, this is not our home. There's nothing wrong with loving this life. Life is precious to God. We should desire to be here to love and serve God and do whatever we can to fulfill the assignment that he's given us. But our home is in heaven. We won't have any more aches and creaks. We won't ever have to go to a doctor and never have to pay another mortgage payment. You'll, you'll never have to do anything that this world says you have to do because we'll just be in the presence of God forever. It's gonna be awesome. And that's what Jesus wanted to give this woman. She's still trying to figure this thing out. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water then. She still thinks it's the eternal youth on this earth. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. You see what she's always going back to where the natural is. So let's go on here. Go and get your husband. Now this is key. Jesus again asks her a question by delving into her personal life, which a man would never, teacher, rabbi would never ever do in this context. But Jesus breaks through all the racial barriers, doesn't he? He breaks through all the walls. So I think when I read this text, I've read this probably just over the years of following Jesus, I don't know, a hundred times or so, I've heard messages on this. I always like to ask myself the question, what was Jesus's tone? If I close my eyes and I imagine Jacob's well and Jesus sitting there asking for a drink of water, humble that he is because he's, it's the middle of the day, it's noontime, she's by herself because none of the other women would go and draw water from the well, being with this woman because of her reputation, which Jesus brings up. Notice Jesus knows everything about her, but he doesn't judge her. 
he asks her a question. Why don't you get your husband so we can all talk about receiving this eternal life? Did you catch what Jesus is doing here? He knows it. You always ask a question that you know the answer is coming, right? He knows what's going to happen here. I don't have a husband. In fact, I think Jesus, when he asks this question, he says, why don't you go get your husband? I don't think he said it. Why don't you go get your husband because I'm going to catch you. Why don't you go get your husband? Because I care about his soul as well. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. Here's how I think the tone was. I know. I know that you don't have a husband. For you've had five. I don't think Jesus said, you have five. You're a dirty rotten. I can't believe you live this way. I'm here to change your life and you better shape up. That's not how his tone was. You've had five husbands. I think his heart was breaking for this woman. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Can I just stop here for a moment and say that when Jesus comes to us, he comes with compassion, tenderness, love, but never compromising truth. I think when we approach people who are just lost, I want you to think about the person that you want to come to Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the person right now that maybe knows the Lord, but they've been distant from fellowship or community of faith. And if we come to them with, you ought to, you should, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that, that's just gonna push them away. But I want us to learn from Jesus' style here that he invites her in through love, concern, tenderness, and compassion. You see that? Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. (laughs) How in the world does he know that I've been sleeping around with five guys and the guy that's under my roof now, I'm shacking up. She must have had all these conversations going on in her head. It says, you must be somebody who's important. We've read about the prophets of old. You must be a prophet of God. How would you know these things? So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while the Samaritans claim is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Do you notice what she's doing here? She's diverting the conversation to some other subject because she just got caught. But Jesus didn't catch her like, I'm going to catch you and judge you. I'm going to catch you because you need to be caught because I love you and I have a better plan for your life. And you don't have to be going down to all the wells looking for relationships with guys to make your fulfillment what you're looking for. I can be your fulfillment. You'll never be thirsty again. Jesus is wanting so much for her to get this. And so Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, there is a time coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about what the the one you worship, while we, the Jews, know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. I just need to say here for a minute, Jesus didn't say to her, why'd you ask that question? You're trying to divert the subject. Let's talk about Jesus. Come on. Do you notice he's going with it? He's answering her question. A time is coming, meaning after his death and resurrection, the church is gonna be formed and we don't have to go to a building to worship God. We don't have to go back to the temple for all the sacrifices. We don't have to go to the priest and bring little Lammy from the, the kids are coming behind mom and dad. No, we don't want little Lammy to be sacrificed. You don't have to do that ever again. You come to Jesus by faith. A time is coming, your whole life will be worshiped outside or inside any kind of temple. 
Your Samaritans, oh, verse 23, but the time is coming indeed is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Somebody say amen. amen. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Isn't that interesting? She's looking for Jesus, and Jesus is standing right there, right? Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I like to rephrase that by, you're looking at him. You're looking at the resurrection and the life, right? This dialogue is so intriguing to me for several reasons. We've all gone to empty wells, haven't we? We've all gone to a place. We've all gone to a person. We've all gone to to something. It might be possessions. It might be a quick thrill. It might be a quick high. Whatever we go to to get a quick fix because we want significance. We want to feel like our life is mattered. And sometimes we want to push away the pain of of, of past things that we've done or things done to us. And however we can get out of that pain, I just want the pain to stop. This woman was living with a stigma of her relationships with men. Everybody knew who she was in her town. And as she sits down at the well with Jesus, he doesn't condemn. I think that we as believers who know Jesus, if you're here today and you know Jesus, you know he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We know that. But sometimes they, meaning the people that are still lost, don't know that. So I think if Jesus were coming to a well in modern day, Where would he go? Where's the well today? Starbucks, right? He might sit down at the table with someone and say, so tell me, what do you believe about God? I think oftentimes our role, we think our role is to tell them who God is. And there will be a time for that. But it's always good to know who we're speaking to. So what do you believe about God? What's been your church experience? Tell me, what do you believe about church? What do you believe about religion? Uh, These questions open up conversations that can go down to the well, at the depth of the well, where we can bring living water to somebody. Jesus is thirsty, and there's nothing wrong with him sitting at this well. There's nothing inappropriate here. This is totally a godly moment, a divine appointment. But the major shift happened when he said, why don't you go get your husband? Now, here's what I see in the text for us today. How does this relate to us? How can we put this into practice? Jesus used a word of knowledge, didn't he? He knew about the woman's past. And so he asked one question. Because we know about somebody's past, doesn't mean that we run them through the ringer and tell them everything that they've done bad. They know. They know where they've been. But one question caused her to reveal inside of her life This is what's going on in my life. I just want you to follow this, that when you're sitting down with someone that you love or you're sharing the good news or want to share the good news with somebody or have been praying for somebody and nothing's come up yet in any kind of conversation, there's nothing wrong with asking the Lord, I need a word of knowledge for this person to know where they're at. That's one of the spiritual gifts. And I just need to say this, the spiritual gift is an operation to glorify God and to build up the body, to build up that moment with someone. So when we ask for a word of knowledge, 
It might come through someone answering a question. God, you just gave me a word of knowledge about this person, and now I know who I'm talking to. The Spirit is powerful enough to give us even a word of knowledge about somebody without even them opening up their mouth. Now, that takes a lot of intimacy, and that takes a lot of time to be listening and recognizing the Spirit of God. But when He speaks, the reason He speaks a word of knowledge is to know where someone is. It is not for us to glorify ourselves. Is not for us to say, I'm so spiritual because I have a word of knowledge for you. That's not what the gift was for. And I've seen those gifts used, I believe, abused in situations where it ends up hurting people. And it helps, or, or I'm sorry, what the contrary does, it lifts others up and we look at people rather than Jesus. So the word of knowledge is a gift that God can give you about someone and their circumstance. It basically means an understanding so I can have more compassion and know how to direct this conversation. The second thing Jesus used in operation, I believe, is a word of wisdom. Wisdom is from knowledge that we have of somebody. Wisdom is the ability to make wise choices. It is the ability to ask the right questions. It's the ability to know what direction I want to go in this conversation because I love this person and I want them to come to Jesus more than anything. Remember we talked about it at the beginning of this message, this sense of urgency. My heart is pounding. I want for them to so much just move one step closer. Holy Spirit, if you could just move the needle over just a little bit for them, knowing that in your timing, we will get this person, God, in heaven with the work that you've done on the cross and the resurrection. God can use a word of wisdom in your life to give them direction on how to get to Jesus. Does does this make sense? Wisdom is the ability to make good judgment, good choices, make wise choices according to the word of God. So when you ask, so tell me, what do you believe about God? And they answer, God may give you a word of knowledge so that you know where they're at. So then you can ask the right question in the conversation about, it might be something simple as, can I share with you my story? How many people would say no to that. If you have any kind of relationship, they're going to say, of course, because they trust you. They trust the relationship. They trust you. So action point number one inside your notes. Stay in a place of humility. Stay in a place of humility. That's where Jesus was at the well, wasn't he? He humbled himself to be in the presence of someone that he wasn't supposed to be with. Number two, action point is, ask the Lord for a word of knowledge. Now, this doesn't mean we're in Starbucks and we, Lord Jesus, give me a word of knowledge. They're going to throw you out, right? You're just in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart, as they're talking. Uh, there's so many conversations that someone will come up to me and I'll say, Jesus, you got to give me something, give me something, give me something, give me something here, Lord. <laughs> they don't know that I'm asking that. I don't have every answer. My role is to get them to the Lord. So you ask, Lord, give me a word of knowledge. Give me something so I can understand the lay of the land here in this person's life. And as they're talking and as they answer questions, now you're asking for a word of wisdom. God, I need wisdom here from you. I know where to go. Because sometimes it's not good to rush in and say, do you want to accept Jesus now? Do you want to come to church now? Do you want to get baptized now? Come on, we can do it right now. Now, some people are ready for that. Some people, they are primed and ready Remember, Dave, we talked to one of our friends, Jake, who was, he just came. He was so tired of life. He was ready to hear the gospel, but not everybody's in that mode. I would say a lot of folks in Orange County, you, you have to go a little slow. Don't throttle back a little bit, Pastor Mike. You, you're not going to win them right here. You have to look at it. God's timing and the way that he works is always different than ours. Some water 
Some fertilize, some plant, and God causes the growth. He knows where, and he knows when. I like, I like this text because Jesus is our model. Now, we don't have time to read the whole thing because we've got to wind this down. But what happened to the woman? She recognizes He's the Messiah. How do we know that? Because it says in the latter part of that text, she goes back to the town of where she came from. And remember, everybody knows who this woman is and everybody knows her. Everybody knows her, those five guys and the sixth guy. But something's different. Something's changed in her life. There is something radically different. Her whole countenance is different. Her demeanor is different. Her head is now lifted high. Why? Because she met God. I just found the one that we've been asking for. I've just found the one, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. I've found the one Messiah who's the God, the meaning, the purpose, the significance, the hope, the fulfillment of life. I found him. It says the whole town was captivated by her story. Even though the fact that they lived in these little villages back in biblical days, the entire town was captivated. The fact that this woman's life was absolutely changed. Why was it changed? Because she believed. And here's what she said in verse 28. Come and see a man who told me everything of who I am. Sometimes it's as simple as just come and see. Some is just, hey, I'd love for you to come visit our church. I, oh, no, I don't know. I don't know. And you know what I used to do when I was a little younger? I would start defending the church. I don't have to. Here's what I found. I understand. That's wisdom from God is being able to see where somebody's at. Why is it that you think negatively about church? Oh, because when I was a kid, da 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 I'm really sorry that that happened to you. I'm so bummed that you had that experience in that church back in the day. Can I just say this way that we talk to people, the way Jesus talked, can I just say that not all churches are like that? There are some healthy churches, and I would love for you to come. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. Oh, that's okay. Just whenever you're ready, just know that the invitation is always open. I would love for you to come. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. And he has so convicted me about how I was living, going down to those empty wells. I didn't want to stay there. Isn't that what we want for people to find out? I've been going to that empty well for so long and it's not doing anything for me. And I want something better. I want something fresh. I want something alive. The Holy Spirit in you, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, he takes residence in you. But can I say that for some of us, and me included in all this, remember, whenever, you know, whenever I preach a sermon, it's always me first. There's sometimes I can be a little flat, right? The Spirit is flat in me because I haven't done things to activate his power in my life. I think a lot of us maybe are on a shelf. If we were like um, Sprite and we were in a, you know, uh, what is it? How many ounces in one of those big bottles? What is that? Two liter bottle, thank you. And, and we just get ourselves stuck on the shelf. And what God says is, hey, I want that. I, 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 that tastes good. I, I want you. And so he takes us off the shelf if we're willing to step out in faith, if we're willing to serve, if we're willing to pray, if we're willing to activate God in our life, he unscrews the tap. Oh, I forgot to mention, he shakes us up. <laughs> 
And the shaking up might be in a place of torment. It might be in a place of disappointment. It might be in a place of depression for a season. It might be a doctor's report that we don't like. It might be losing a relationship or in a relationship that we want to get out. And we're shaken up by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus wants to pop the top off, man. And he wants us to overflow on everyone so that they can know that Jesus is the living water. That's what it's about. He's the one that convicts the heart. We don't have to convict anybody's heart. We don't have to maximize a moment and be clever with persuasive words. We don't have to think about changing somebody's heart. God does that. In Acts chapter 16, there was a woman named Lydia down at the river when the apostle Paul was passing through building churches. And the spirit of God told Paul, go down to that woman and the group of women down by the river. They need Jesus. They need me. And as he went down, this is my paraphrased version of it, down to the river, it says, the Lord opened up Lydia's heart. The conditions were rightly so. The spiritual condition was right, that God opened up her heart. And when he gave the gospel, so awesome. She says, thank you so much. She received Jesus as her savior. They said, would you come to our house? We want to feed you guys. The disciples were there, some of his companions. Not only did she invite them into her home, but she started a church there in the village through one conversion, one person. It's Billy Graham who kneels down at the bedside of John Wesley. God used in a powerful way. He had no idea that he was going to be used in that way. But when he prayed that prayer, do it again, Lord. There was something that happened between heaven and earth and opened up Billy Graham's heart and there was an anointing and a call. Just like every single one of you, every single one of you, or you're watching online, every single one of us, God has called us to follow him. And now that we've said yes, if you have said yes, I want you to share the greatest message that I've given to you now. You have been saved. You have been sanctified. You have been made holy. You are now righteous because of my blood, because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. And the fact that he rose again on Sunday morning, you are changed. You are bought. You are mine. And I want everybody to have that same opportunity that you and I have. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Where's my Jerusalem? Right here in my home. That's where it starts. My neighborhood, outskirts to where I work, where I go to school, where I hang out with friends. Action point number four, and then we're done. Simply invite somebody to know the Lord. It's okay If you sense through a word of wisdom, if it's a safe place to ask somebody, would you like to receive the Lord? Because I can help you do that right now. And you simply take their hands. Lord Jesus, we give you our lives. And I believe praying the prayer with someone who opens up their heart, we pray together. Lord, thank you for saving us. It's just a prayer that comes from your heart. I thank you for dying on the cross, Lord for me, for us. We believe you've risen from the dead for us. And we receive you now. We ask forgiveness for all of our sins. And we receive you now in Jesus' name. It's that simple. It's that simple. I have a friend who I went to school with. His name was Rob, high school. And we were on the same tennis team for all four years. And he, he and I were just like 
peanut butter and jelly, man. We were like best friends all the way through high school. And then just through a set of circumstances, nothing ever happened negative in the friendship. It's just that we kind of drifted apart. So I've been following my friend Rob on Facebook. He doesn't know I'm following him, but I'm following him. Because I'm following and I'm praying. I've been praying for him for 20 some years. He shows up last Sunday at church here. I was blown away. I was praying for someone. Some folks were asking for prayer. So we were praying. I opened my eyes and I saw him standing right here. I said, I am so glad to see you. We just gave a big hug. And here's what he said. Let's grab a lunch sometime. Now I know what that means. Let's have some God talk. Right? I didn't do anything. The Holy Spirit does it. Sometimes we step in. Sometimes we don't need to step in. That's where the word of wisdom comes. And you'll know what to do. You trust him. Amen? Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.